The Guardian. Welcome to Science Weekly. We're continuing to follow the COVID-19 outbreak and explore some of the biggest questions to come out of it, including some from you, our listeners. And we would love to keep hearing from you, so please continue to send your questions via a form we've set up. Head over to theguardian.com forward slash COVID-19 questions, all in one word. In today's episode, we'll be looking at something that quite a few listeners have sent in questions about, including Izzy Hamilton, who asked, How have African countries responded to the COVID-19 crisis? To help us get a better understanding of the emerging picture of what's happening, we're joined today by Trudy Lang, who runs a programme called the Global Health Network. Trudy is a Professor of Global Health Research at the University of Oxford and a Senior Research Scientist in Tropical Medicine. It's such a diverse continent. We've got populations living in cramped slums and cities. We've got quite wealthy populations in some of the capital cities. And of course, villages after villages after villages with very well spread out populations living in very different contexts and huge variations in how people move around as well. I'm The Guardian's health editor, Sarah Bosley, and this is Science Weekly. Trudy, we first met in 2014 during the huge outbreak of Ebola in West Africa, and it quickly became clear that some African countries were very vulnerable indeed to a rapidly spreading infectious disease that they'd never encountered before. Early data on the COVID-19 situation in Africa seemed to suggest the numbers were lower than feared, but the cases are now increasing. Some countries in Africa are acting quite quickly, aren't they? Would you like to give us some examples of what they're doing? Yeah, um, I think one of the most impressive things is to see the level of coordination that's happening already. I mean, certainly compared to other wealthier places in the world, the the coordination between the African nations has been just fantastic. Um, And so countries have acted early. And and of course, they need to because the situation in most African nations um, isn't like we were able to put in place in, in countries like the UK, where we could do the early uh, detect and contain because we could do uh, testing in those early days when we wanted to spot the cases. In Africa, it's just not possible to do that level of testing. And so very quickly, there needs to be the move to delay. And so that's why African nations have often moved much faster um, between those steps that we've seen elsewhere. Is the Ebola experience relevant now to any attempt to fight COVID-19 in 2020? Very much so. And also the Zika outbreak. And we also learned from the outbreaks with MERS and SARS. So what we're seeing here is how the world has changed in terms of the coordination and preparedness that's been put in place ready for an outbreak like this. Um, I'm sure you've read and heard about the disease X scenario that lots of groups work towards. Would you like to explain disease X? This is a programme in case of an epidemic, is it? So the WHO have an R&D blueprint scheme and and many other organisations have followed the same idea that there's a theoretical disease X, which is a new pathogen, respiratory infection that can spread very rapidly. The difference between disease X and what we have with COVID-19 is actually disease X at a much higher mortality rate. So this isn't disease X. But we're obviously seeing how this could possibly play out with this, what we're now in with this huge global pandemic. 
And so countries had put systems in place to plan some of the transmission blocking elements and the lockdown situations, rapid vaccine and drug development processes. And so that's how we've really taken forward what we've learned from outbreaks such as Ebola and Zika. So the Africa Centres for Disease Control and Prevention, which is generally known as the Africa CDC, was also set up as a result of Ebola. Is that right? Exactly. And they're being really uh, organised and strong in their information they're supplying and the guidance that they're giving and the the coordination they're managing to achieve. But there are also lots of other pan-African organisations that have been around for many years and are working closely with them and, and, and again have built upon the lessons. Another good example is the African Society of Laboratory Medicine. And all of these have been, without doubt, strengthened as a result of what we learned from Ebola about this need to have uh, really joined up thinking and put things in place that, that all nations can draw on quite quickly. Are there any specific factors that might help African countries in this crisis? Because it has been suggested, for example, that it's possible the virus might behave differently in a different climate. Do you think that's possible? Yeah, that's been... Um moving around for quite a few weeks through this outbreak, hasn't it? And I think the answer is the same, actually, that still remains to be seen. There's a lot of questions around why the case numbers are either behind or perhaps they will remain low, uh, which would be really good news. But it, it could be that they're just behind the rest of the world. And that could be due to differences in volume of travel or how the populations are moving around locally, um, we we won't know that for some time. So there could be several factors that impact this and and we still don't know too much around uh, what the impact of seasons and climate and all those contributing factors are. Obviously, there'll be a lot of concern that the healthcare systems are not as well resourced and well set up as they might be in other parts of the world. So given the few intensive care beds in many African countries, are we inevitably looking at a high death toll? Or can they actually do better than us in preventing the epidemic taking off by keeping the virus at bay? Well, I think there's lots of elements to that question. I think let's let's start with um, can they do better than us at keeping it at bay? I think it's going to be very challenging for lots of countries to do that. They've moved very quickly, as they have to, but trying to enforce social distancing in communities where you have multiple occupancies in small houses really close by each other and perhaps 30 or 40 people even sharing the same long drop toilet. You haven't got ability to refrigerate and store food or obviously even the finance to buy volumes of foodstuffs ahead so that people can stay at home is almost an impossible ask. And and there will be some really hard decisions for families to make about putting themselves at risk versus literally being able to get food and and keep their families going. So I think the burden on countries to enforce social distancing is extreme and will be way more impactful than is in our really comfortable setups that most of us are very fortunate to have. So that's the ability to prevent spread. And then in terms of the impact on healthcare systems, I think there it's going to be multi-leveled as well. We've got very low access to intensive care facilities and intensive care facilities in many African hospitals looks completely different than what we experience here. Even access to oxygen is very difficult in any situation in day-to-day African healthcare settings, let alone if you have the demand that we might have here. Obviously, ventilators are very few and far between. And so that will be extremely challenging. And then we've got the wider impact um, on 
other healthcare, day-to-day healthcare issues, which again, we saw very vividly with Ebola where the burden on other diseases was, was huge and the death rates accordingly rose with everything from uh, maternal health outcomes to increase in malaria. And so the wider impact on ongoing day-to-day health issues are, are, are really of dramatic concern. We've seen some of the cities ordered into lockdown already, haven't we, in South Africa and Nigeria. It seems to be uh, quite difficult, isn't it, to to restrict social movement in the way that they're trying to do that, only because people are totally dependent on earning a living out on the streets very often or in the fields. Well, exactly. There's no social support like we're fortunate to experience here. And just the way that life happens in, in those settings where people buy food they need each day, they don't have refrigerators, they don't have uh, lots of income in their pockets to buy supplies for days and weeks on end. And if they don't earn any money, then they do, can't buy that food in the first place. And they live in these often very cramped conditions and share things like toilet facilities. So social distancing is going to be extremely challenging, if not impossible. And then the social distancing itself could cause quite severe impacts, and not just economically, but but even in itself, if people really aren't allowed to go out and buy food, then I think people will go hungry. I know with Ebola, we had the whole world mustering to help in flying in doctors and nurses and uh, creating hospitals and so on. Are we doing enough, do you think, for Africa with COVID-19, simply because the entire planet, of course, is affected, so uh, resources are stretched? The perspective of this I work on and come to is, is around implementing a research response. And I think it's as essential that we do research in every setting in the globe and that access to research and the benefits of research are equitable. There are different questions to ask in settings such as Africa around things like understanding what coronavirus infection in the population might be doing in terms of if there's already a high level of infection on things like TB, HIV, malaria. In fact, it might also be some infections could actually be protective. This may be one of the contributing factors to why we're seeing less infection because people's immune systems are very different in different contexts and this could be a factor. And whilst those findings are going to be important for Africans, that would also be interesting and important globally to understand some of those contexts. We also need drugs and vaccines that are appropriate for all settings and to be able to have community-based treatment that is appropriate in those different populations. And the same too for testing. I mean, we hear all the time in the UK about why testing is so important and why it's difficult to put in place, but that's all the more true in less resourced nations with populations far more spread out and less able to access testing in healthcare facilities. So I think in terms of the research response we saw from Ebola, it was incredible. And we put the first clinical trials in place that ever happened within an outbreak. And that needs to happen here again in Africa, just as it does across the world. The good news is that many places in Africa are really well set up to run and lead their own research projects. And there's a whole raft of conversations, collaborations, plans going on. This is what I've been heavily involved with in the last few weeks and talking to my colleagues across Africa, thinking about what the research priorities are, where research could be implemented straight away. And I think the ability to locally lead and coordinate these studies is absolutely there. 
but that still needs the international support and funding to come from overseas. Are there lessons to be learned in the UK, do you think, from the approach that countries in Africa are taking? Yeah, and I think there's probably lessons to be learned in Europe, certainly in the US as well. I think the swiftness to recognise the severity of the situation and to plan for the worst. The systems there are used to dealing with a sort of constant emergency situation, I suppose, because there's so few resources and infectious disease are the hallmark of, of the disease burden in these nations. That kind of humility, I suppose, is ingrained to healthcare responses in Africa and the willingness to coordinate beyond national boundaries is absolutely ingrained in healthcare responses across Africa, I think. Thanks to Trudy for joining me this week. And also, thank you for your support as listeners. In times like this, trusted news is more important than ever. And here at The Guardian, we are 100% committed to accurate and reliable news. But in order to help us do that, we need your support. To find out more, please go to theguardian.com forward slash support podcasts, all in one word. We would love to keep hearing from you, so please continue to send your questions via a form we've set up. Head over to theguardian.com forward slash COVID-19 questions. Look after yourselves and others. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts.